0: It's Tuesday, October 20th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Held, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher. And all the way from the Great White North, Mr. Jim Gillies. Always good to have you
1: in studio, my friend. Thank you. I'll <laughs> put in a plug for Pro Canada. I
0: was just going to say, also uh,
2: heading up the <laughs> That's Mot- Jim's title now. He's just yeah. representative of Canada. Yeah, just
1: the Canadian, the token Canadian. Not the token Canadian. Well, a token Canadian. You still work at the Fool though, too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Exactly. Right. Heading up uh, Motley Fool Pro Canada, and also working with Jeff on Motley Fool Options. That's uh, a new service too, Pro Canada. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: Very young service. Very young service. Where we have we have big shoes to fill from uh, the US version.
0: I like the fact that um, uh, that the international outlets of the Motley Fool have just unabashedly stolen the pro name. <laughs> it's like there's a pro service in Canada, there's Absolutely. a pro Australia, service in Australia. Which is doing great. Which yep. you know like Joe Mager just didn't even Bad an eye no. down there, like absolutely, <laughs> well, we're going to steal this name. It's such
2: an original name, too. You just <laughs> exactly. you never see it anywhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Yeah, like we invented it. Um, we've got earnings Palooza. We're going to talk Harley Davidson. We're going to talk IBM, and some interesting uh, news from Yum Brands. But uh, let's start with International Business Machines. Third quarter profit higher than expected, but revenue down. For the 14th straight quarter, what the? (laughs) Uh,
1: I mean, IBM is (laughs) is waiting for Godot, right? It's you keep on waiting for something good to happen. I can't
2: even do the Um, math. How many years is that? 14 divided by four, three and a half years. Three and a half years.
1: Uh, Some of that is self inflicted, too. You know, they've all this is this has been a multi year, multi quarter uh, of transition from low margin, largely hardware focused business to high margin software and services business. And there's also, you know, our old friend, well, currency headwinds, strong dollar, et cetera, ad nauseum. That said, the, the US dollar <laughs> hasn't been that strong for 14 e- straight quarters. Exactly. So. <laughs> and and it's I'm a semi-bull on IBM long-term because I can see the hope that when they finally get the transition done, this is a company that is not expensive. Now you might argue it's not expensive for pretty good reason: fourteen it's quarters of de- declining revenue. It's sure. certainly
0: cheaper today. With sure. The sure, stock down another four five. Um, but I mean,
1: on a relative valuations basis, I mean it seems to be stuck in the nine to eleven times earnings um mult- earnings multiple range and you can kind of see the the promise of the tomorrow they keep making but again it's waiting for good because the tomorrow never seems to come and they always talk about making good progress on our strategic efforts or what have you they are roll they're still making a, a goodly amount of cash And they are putting all of that cash into a steadily rising dividend and they are taking down their share count. Their share count's now 35, 40% less than what it was eight years ago, I think. Warren Buffett is still out there buying shares. At some point, there will be a turn but that point isn't anytime soon. Well,
0: it, Jeff it reminded me a little bit of what we had talked about recently with Intel, where it's like, yes, for Intel, the chip business is still bringing in billions, but it is on the decline and mm-hmm. they're they're trying to get their and they're growing their you know, sort of cloud business, but yep. not at the same rate that they needed to. Yeah, at least
2: Intel has been able to grow revenue and hit record revenue last year and may again yeah. this year. IBM's revenue is is running one hundred and six billion right now the last twelve months. That's down from one hundred twenty six billion five years ago. So it's down twenty yeah. percent over five years. They now, did offload some stuff. Like team, Jim mentioned, so they not, got rid of things. Yeah. They and like Hewlett Packard, they're shedding unprofitable or l- low profit businesses. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to just look at revenue, of course. But I think the bigger problem at IBM has been missing their own Guidance—they're just not executing. Missing guidance, and I would not even, this quarter, but priorly.
1: So. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there was that much, much uh, touted uh, twenty dollars in operating earnings in 2015. Well, they re- they they abandoned that about a year ago. Uh, I'm just looking quickly. I'm not too sure where they're they're coming in now or where they've guided now. They lowered their guidance for this year last night. I think they're somewhere in the fourteen fifteen dollar range now. I mean, it is—they just don't seem to have a firm idea of where they're going right. and their management doesn't seem to have a firm hand on getting them there and they seem kind of drifting and, well, we're going to do this. And and I, I think at some point you kind of say, well, IBM isn't just like one business, right? They're, they're a whole host of sometimes disparate business, the cloud business and the consulting business and the software as a service business. And you kind of go what's the what's the key vision what <laughs> where, yeah, where are we
2: going to go and and, and it's, it's i'm not going to lie it's getting frustrating <laughs> so it, it really calls to question the capability of management in at least some ways because you know chris when they're setting guidance they're setting it if they're smart conservatively mm-hmm. so that they can exceed it under promise over deliver and when they miss it consistently it shows you they're off the mark in what they think this business can do by a much larger degree than it than it appears I, I don't want to get too touchy feely here, but but <laughs> at its core,
0: when a company when not a company when management is missing their own expectations, doesn't that mean that there's just a culture problem where the people who are presumably right underneath them and feeding the guidance up to them don't feel like they can be straight with that? I mean, barring one-time events that happen very late in a quarter. If you're not nailing your own guidance, then you're just bad at your job, or you have you you have some sort of systemic problem.
2: I wouldn't disagree with that. I have no I have no I think no. that's exactly right. It's like at home when I tell my wife I'll have the dishes done by eight every night. I say that, and it's ten maybe. <laughs> I'm wow. missing my own guidance. You're you're way. <laughs> Your dishwashing guidance is terrible. It is, and see, I should adjust. But why don't I? I don't. I'm, maybe I'm afraid to speak the truth. Wow. You maybe. Know what? You know. I'm just gonna
1: be sitting over here. <laughs> I was just
0: gonna say, you know, if your wife starts selling shares, I just shares made that up Jeff by the Fisher, way. I, I don't. Um, Let <laughs> that all up. You know, if IBM wants to feel better about itself, it can hang out with Harley Davidson because Harley Davidson's <laughs> third quarter was just they missed on profit, they missed on revenue. They cut their outlook for the rest of the fiscal year. Mm -hmm. He said, we're going to need to cut jobs, but didn't really specify how many if there's a silver lining, please let me know what it is.
2: Yeah, Chris, the results and then the language from management really points to a, a complicated scenario for HOG right now, the ticker HOG. They have a lot of competition in the States, from. Foreign companies who are able to sell bikes at a discount because the dollar is so strong, and they can sell the bikes cheaper here, and it doesn't even hit their profit margins back home, thanks to the dollar. Uh, Harley lowered production goals in April, and at the time they said we want to maintain the the you know scarcity of the brand, but really that that really wasn't tr- the truth. I don't believe sadly. They're only producing two hundred sixty five thousand bikes or so this year. Not even. So they lowered production because demand wasn't there, and now they lowered production goals again. At the same time, though, they're saying it's time to increase our spending. So they're saying, you know, we're lowering production and we're going to increase spending to uh, in R and D and marketing and marketing and new dealerships, which all very clearly says demand is is flagging. What does that mean? Are younger generations as drawn to Harleys as baby boomers were? I mean, arguably not. So they have their work cut out for them. Meanwhile, it hasn't been a growth company or stock for a long time. the The last 15 years, the total return for Harley is 2.2 percent. If you own the shares, that's less than half the S&P, which went up 5 percent annualized. That's annualized, I should say. The last 10 years, Harley returned 2.6 percent annualized, and the S&P was at nearly 8 percent. So it's really been a slow. It's basically the dividend that you've been getting mm-hmm. all along. Now that said, over the last five years, I'm just all numbers today. <laughs> Fourteen percent annualized, but that's you know goes back to 2010ish when everything was not doing well. So, anyway, long term it hasn't grown for a long time. Uh, Revenue right now is on par with 2006 revenue, and now they're cutting production and spending more at the same time to try to jump up demand. So it's it's a tough scenario.
0: Yeah, the stock down about 15 percent today. It's the biggest one day drop in close to three years. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is.
1: And you know maybe maybe it is a buying opportunity. I don't know, but but it's, uh, but it's the old classic story. It's the same same as IBM. I would argue today. It's the classic story of okay, so it's a cheaper stock or it's getting cheaper, mm-hmm. but where's the catalyst? Like. Who is going to come in and say, "Yeah, I mean, you have to reflect. Oprah." Can Oprah come in and buy 10 percent?" If we can company, get Oprah, to, like she did with White Watchers, which is up another good chunk today, but I mean, yeah, you need something to to spur the IBM. They already had their catalyst. Buffett owns, I don't know, ten percent of the stock or eight or ten percent of the stock. Where's the catalyst for for Hog for for Harley Davidson? Right. And and w- in the absence of that catalyst. I just kind of look at at IBM, I look at at Harley-Davidson, it's kind of just kind of sliding sideways or down.
2: Surprisingly, they're seeing a lot of competition overseas, too, in Europe from European brands. Mm. Their plan is to open more dealerships to try to fight that back. But But I
1: mean, like, do they have the cachet in Europe that they have here? Like, you know, it's Americana, right? What makes for
2: a cool bike these days,
1: you know? I, I, I drive a Prius
2: so I don't know. <laughs>
1: well, and and and
0: to the, one of the points you hit earlier, Jeff, I mean, you look at Viper and Triumph and they are and they've I mean, their strategy is clear. They're consistently undercutting Harley Davidson on price.
2: Yep. And what's the new one from Polaris Industries, uh Indian? Is it Indian? I think, oh, it's an Indian, Indian, Indian motorcycle they brought yep. it back? Yeah. I don't know how that's doing. I haven't So checked, that's a nostalgia but,
1: play and Yep. You know that goes right to Harley Davidson's got a little bit of nostalgia playing that too. So. Yeah,
2: so to Jim's point, what's the catalyst? It, the question also is why would you want to own the stock? And I looked it over and it, it doesn't look cheap yet. It is definitely cheaper, but it arguably deserves to be cheaper, but mm-hmm. it doesn't look dirt cheap enough where you take a take a big investment in it right well, now. Well,
0: and and I think this is I think it's easier to feel confident buying a stock that is dropping 15% if you feel like management is on top of things. And just the basic communication from Harley Davidson, yeah. as yeah. you touched on, sort of smacks of uh, a group of people who aren't entirely sure what the path forward is.
2: Because, Chris, you said they're cutting jobs as well? I didn't, I didn't even say yeah. that. Yeah, they're cutting a... jobs, they and said, that's where they're they getting the the money. They said, we're going to need to cut jobs. Yeah. As they but spend they, more on But dealers then they didn't
0: say yep. how many jobs, where the job cuts mm. would come from, that sort of thing. So, that's You know, if if (laughs) a lot of good news in today's show, Chris. I was just gonna say, (laughs) and that hits morale. And yeah,
2: that's that's tough. Like the people, like the
0: employees of Harley-Davidson, were having a bad day already, (laughs) and then just like let's let's throw in this added cloud of yeah, we're gonna need to cut jobs. but we're not gonna say where Yum Brands, the parent company of KFC, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell announced that it is spinning out its china unit into a separate company and shares of Yum Brands up around 4% on the news. What do we think of this? Is this is this a good move for them? Uh, we've said for a long time China is where historically the money has been in terms of revenue for the overall parent company. That's where it's been. That's also where the problems have been right. over the last 3 years. So is this well, well, oh, go ahead, Jim. Oh, I was just uh, going to say the,
1: the we're, we're moaning or I'm moaning about lack of catalyst at IBM, lack of catalyst at Harley uh, Davidson. Can't make that argument at Yum Brands. Right. This this move is being spurred by uh, he's a, I think it's about a five percent shareholder, uh, large shareholder, might be the largest shareholder of Yum Brands, who has been agitating for this type of move for a while. Got named to the board last week and then this morning lo and behold and wasted no time and wasted no time so you know hey good for yum brands and that on on that front i i think that's uh, i think that's probably not a bad move how's that i'll hedge my hedge my bets like that's <laughs> I, I i like it but i like i like restaurant story stocks so.
2: it's it it probably tells you how poorly china is doing which we already knew but if you're spinning it off it's even worse than you thought there's no clarity on the horizon you need to do something else to shake it up. And the, the tagline, which it always is, is this will allow Yum China to focus better. Like, all right, I don't know, you, your company was already divided. You had managers who worked just on China, yeah. and, you know, it's- But it's,
1: it's but it's also turning this into a franchisee story, right? So, so yeah, Yum Brands, the, 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 US, uh, uh, the U.S. company is going to transition to basically, I like to call these a check caching machine. And so this was like Tim Hortons before they were bought Small by QSR. Checks. Small checks, but you know, it's basically like uh, they're going to move to 95% plus franchisee. So basically, Yum! Brands will be, hey, we're granting franchisees and uh, franchise agreements and you're sending us, I don't know, 6% royalties every month, what have you. And, and the Yum! China will just be the largest franchisee. And that can be a great model mm-hmm. um, for Yum! Brands. So... Now, admittedly, I've not been into any of Yum Brands' signature restaurants in probably <laughs> two decades. Um, I don't like to eat there, but I do like these types of stories. There's a there's a small company. I, I already mentioned Tim Hortons is a small company in Canada that's got very much a similar strategy for where they're just basically a check cashing machine. They get all these checks coming in every month, put the money in, and we you know we provide the the branding and we provide the know how for setting up new stores. So I like it, and it can it can be and and, and it could propel Yum Brands in the U.S. here could propel them to a higher valuation and a higher multiple, just because that quality of business is higher margin you know, and higher profits, without the headaches of running the restaurant and dealing with a lot of the Chinese stuff.
0: So, anyone who's looking at this story and thinking, well, wait a minute, I don't think I want to be involved in this because the majority of their revenue has been coming from China, it sounds like you're saying, yeah, but, but the U.S. business can be much more reliable.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in 2014, the China division, which had 6,700 units, uh, brought in nearly seven billion in revenue, and that's the company as a whole has 13 billion in revenue, comparable so a bit US more than half. Too. Operating profit of 700 million on that seven billion, so about a 10 percent operating margin. Mm-hmm. Chinese business is pretty strong, but the U.S. is still bringing in a bit more operating profit. Yeah. And and they claim, too, that the Chinese business at, at what, 6,500 restaurants, 7,000 restaurants? 6,700. Yep. Right. It,
1: they they claim they're going to try to take that to 20,000 in China, which is a mind-blowing number to me. It's like, wow. So we, they're going to triple
2: their restaurant base in China. So, Jim, would you so be a buyer of whatever it's going to be called? I, Yum I'm China?
1: I might be more interested in Yum Brands. To be Can they call it I mean. Yummy China? <laughs> yummy China. <laughs> Um,
2: Young brands why because uh, because, of what you just because
1: said. yeah the the the, the move to were more of a franchising. Uh, another uh, you know Jack in the box in, in the US is another one that moved they sold all, all they refranchised all of their their company owned stores and they went very heavily franchisee. And I think the stock tripled over the, over that period. So
2: Papa John's Pizza is also mainly say, franchises. Your, and your friend Papa John's. Yeah, they've done really well. And They've done poorly, right? No, <laughs> they've done excellent. Extremely well. It's interesting, though, to note that something like Chipotle, where all the stores are company owned, has done even better. So mm-hmm. you can you can argue well both with, sides. It's sure. all about execution.
1: And or or even you go look, we're going down all restaurant chains. You go down Buffalo Wild Wings, right? There, it's about, what, one-third company-owned, two-thirds franchisees, but it's, again, much like a Chipotle, strong management and management with a vision and you know good operating chops and execution chops gets it done. Tremendous returns for shareholders. Mm-hmm.
0: Two housekeeping notes before we wrap up. First, uh, Motley Fool Options, the service that Jeff and Jim run, uh, is open for the first time in a long time to new members. Um, We've we've gotten together and done some uh, done some videos, uh, so I know we've talked about this a lot over the last week, but we haven't done it here on Market Foolery. So l- l- let's Give talk a, about options for a second, because oh, it, I, I know it, yeah, pain, it's it pains you to say that. <laughs> no, 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 because I mean it is it is uh, you know uh, it is something I've I've said before on Market Foolery, but but certainly um, in the videos that we've done recently that it is. Um,
2: you're waiting to make your first option trade. No, straight, no, aren't you? you're you're ready. You're ready to start using Who, options. Who me personally? Yeah,
0: I am actually. All right. Um, no, I was just I, I was uh, that was a sigh of resignation because <laughs> because just as just as and it's getting better, but just as there is still the steady marketing drumbeat from Wall Street that has been going on for a hundred years of how complicated stock investing is. It is even louder about options. And I've said before that I defy you to turn on Bloomberg, turn on Fox Business, turn on CNBC and see anyone who has the word options in their name that is not immediately followed by the word trader. Mm-hmm. Just the perception of options investing as it comes across on financial television is hyper frequency, um, super complicated, right. and by the way, super high risk. And the way you guys do options investing is pretty much the exact opposite of that, with the exception of the word
2: options. I,
1: I think we coined the term options investing. I don't. I never I, saw it before we we, we launched the service.
2: Uh, you're right, though. So many people on Wall Street wear options as a kind of cloak of complexity and superiority, and. I don't know. We we uh, aim to bore you to profitability. We're like the Snoopy of options, <laughs> and, and <laughs> but that's the thing. Well, or I the even. Charlie Brown, even. Except we. So in the service in Motley Fool Options, which does open today for a brief time to new members, and it's been a long time. So we're excited to get new members in. More than ninety percent of the trades Jim and I have closed since we opened that service seven years ago. Six six, six years ago, August oh nine. Six and a six yeah. and a quarter years ago more than 90% of our positions have made money. And that's not because we're brilliant, speaking for myself anyway. Jim, you're brilliant. It's because we use very simple strategies where the odds are in our favor, and we use them on companies that we know really well, and we use them with the mind frame of an investor. I
1: was going to say, we're investors first, we're not traders.
2: So, we mostly sell options and collect income, uh, which is very reliable. Again, 90% some of the time it works out that way. If it turns into a stock, then we get to buy a stock we like at a lower price, or we get to sell some a stock we own at a higher price. So that is a very simple way we use options to make income on stocks. We also set up positions for leveraged upside on things like Disney. Ooh, risky. Yeah. Disney. But we bought calls on Disney a couple of years ago. The stock is up. I don't know, thirty or forty percent. Our our calls are up two hundred. Yeah, the options percent. are up more. <laughs> yes, and Facebook we did the yep. same thing. Facebook's up thirty percent. The calls are up hundred percent. Things like that. We're buying we're buying just smart, simple options on companies, foolish companies we all know and like, and increasing our returns that way. Options are a complement to your stocks. Mm-hmm. They don't replace them. You keep your stocks alone for the long term and uh, compound your money that way.
0: Uh, let me give you a URL to check out. It's optionsradio.fool.com. All one word optionsradio.fool.com. I'll put it in the description uh, of this podcast so that you can just you can click that And what if you go there, you go to optionsradio.fool.com and you'll see a free site that's set up. It's a crash course uh, in options investing that, that Jim and Jeff uh, and the whole options team have put together. And you know what? Just kick the tires. Just kick the tires on the service because if you're just starting out, as Jeff said, uh, options is something you just want to do on the side a little bit, just to sort of uh, complement what you're doing
2: with your investing. But
0: uh, like you know, like any of our services, if, you, you know, if it's not working, uh, you get your money back.
2: So true, it's so true, and it'll only be open for a short while. And we like to bring everyone together at the same time, so then we can move forward at the same time. We'll have a make your first trade event mm-hmm. for new members in a couple weeks' time. And I got an idea. You got an idea, yeah? uh, I I got an idea. I have one idea. Oh, okay. We'll have to fight for it. it. We'll see if it sticks. I think it will, if prices don't change much. Uh, All you need to learn is one strategy. For years, all I did was sell, put options for income, and to buy stocks cheaper. And uh, mainly, that's still the main strategy I use, and uh, it's made a big difference.
0: Lather, rinse, repeat. Exactly. Optionsradio.fool.com. Last order of business. Happy birthday, Papa Gillies.
1: Happy birthday to my dad. He turned seventy two today. Seventy two years. Jim ago. Gillies senior. Yeah. That's yeah. so fantastic. He's, he's a he's a somewhat loyal listener. You've met him up in Toronto once yeah. when he came out. Yes. <laughs> somewhat very, loyal that, that yeah. describes our listeners. Well, you know, he's he's, he's he's not a he's not an everyday <laughs> listener. He's not an investor, you know. I mean he 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 was never terribly interested in investing as as a pursuit. He has a financial background. He was uh, he was an accountant, he was a controller of a couple of divisions of uh, companies that have now been folded into um, Smuckers. So uh, mm-hmm. the, the the artist formerly known as International Multifoods or yes. Robin Hood <laughs> Multifoods. Um, but no, but he's always been very, um, he's always been very supportive of his kids' uh, endeavors and attempts at success and what have you. And it's been a, you know, been a privilege to be his son and he's a fantastic grandfather and uh yeah, happy birthday to my dad. Happy
2: birthday. Jim, where is he spending his birthday and what is <laughs> what is he doing? He
1: is running my kids to and from school today. <laughs> <laughs> now, because I'm down here.
0: Now in my house, if it's your birthday, you get to pick the dinner and the mm-hmm. dessert. So what is if that's the rule for your dad, what's what's your dad's go-to? Like, I can have anything I want for mm. dinner. I want this, and this is what dessert. <laughs> that that is. would
1: that would be steak. <laughs> he wants steak. He he he's um, yeah, he's he's a meat eater, and I think I'm not. Uh, he likes pumpkin pie. But we just had that for Thanksgiving a couple yeah. weeks or last week, I should say. So uh, I'm not sure what's for dessert. But he's uh, he and my mother are heading out to Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, on Friday, and of course I fly home on Thursday. So we're doing the birthday dinner, kind of ships passing in the night on Thursday night. So myself, my lady friend, my kids, and then my parents are all steakhouse going out. Steakhouse? I, I suspect it'll be a steakhouse. Uh, and if it, my father doesn't make that choice, I suspect my son will convince him to make that choice. How far a trip is Moose Jaw? Uh, by car, or by plane, I think it's about a three hour, three and a half. They're from Saskatchewan originally, so they're okay. going back to visit family. But I think it's about a three, three and a half hour flight. Um. You know, by car, it's a three day drive from where I live. I don't recommend it. So you have to go through Minot, not North Dakota.
0: See, it's 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 one more reason to love Canada because they got places like Moose Jaw. Moose Jaw, and, home of the snowbirds. And Guelph. Which is where Jim lives. Which is where we live. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fool. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.